0: Good morning, good morning, good morning to you. Um, The first time I saw someone bring good news of great joy, well, I mean, what comes to mind when I think of good news with great joy, I think about growing up, um, spending all day watching Super Bowl coverage, watching the Super Bowl, and then, I don't know if you remember this, but... um, right after the Super Bowl was over, I don't know if they still do this today, but what they used to do was they used to have this massive raffle. And on big Super Bowl Sunday, this uh, publisher's clearinghouse raffle, there'd be representatives from this perhaps scam, but they would show up to somebody's house with an oversized check that said $10 million, and the camera would follow as someone holding this oversized check would walk up to the door, ring the doorbell, and surprise somebody with quite possibly the largest amount of money they've ever seen in their life. And what would follow after that are screams and yells and quick breaths as they realized that they had just won this large sum of money. And I remember thinking how cool it would have been just to knock on people's houses every day and say, hey, I have great news for you. Story two, uh, growing up, there was another thing that really stayed with me. It was um, Oprah Winfrey's Favorite Things episode. So every year, Oprah would gather a crowd of people um, in her studio, and um, early on, nobody knew what was going on, but later people would realize that, oh my goodness, this could potentially be Oprah's Favorite Things episode. And what would happen during this episode is, is Oprah would stand up, talk about some of her favorite things, and then just gift everybody in the crowd with those things every year. You know, and so they got two-way pagers and big screen TVs and cars. And now all of this has become, a, you know, a giant meme only for Twitter where you see Oprah just flailing her arms and telling everybody that they got one and everybody got one and everybody in the crowd were winners of these extravagant gifts, and I thought, man, wouldn't it be cool if you were sitting in the crowd and Oprah woodfree is just saying thing after thing that, that she's enjoyed from the past year and saying, you get one and you get one and you get one. If you go to the website, this is how they describe it. They uh, just did a quick Google search. And, and, and they, they have this 90-second clip about all these episodes of Oprah's favorite things. And they said, for 16 years, it's been the most anticipated holiday event on TV. And here's your chance to relive the surprises, the joy, and oh yes, the shrieking. Um, and if you're like me, a thought you may have is how lucky for them to be the ones to win, to receive the surprises, to hear announcement and after announcement after announcement of good news that carry great joy. You might know where I'm going with this. Today we turn our attention to another announcement. An announcement we've seen told and retold every Christmas year and and as we hear the Christmas story, Um, but the issue is we hear this story of good news, of great joy, but it doesn't do anything for us in any sort of practical way. We file it away as another acute episode that's a part of this Christmas Advent season, and we tell it to our kids, but we don't realize the power it has to usher us into deep, consistent joy. And so my aim in these next minutes are simple. I want to show you how these short verses can be a life source for consistent, unending joy. That can overpower the forces of despair that threaten your life in this season. I want you to be a better, more skillful hunter of joy. And why is that? Like, why, why is that important? And I think for a single reason, you already, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you are a hunter of joy. It is the subtext to your spending. It animates every conversation in your relationships. You are seeking joy. And why not turn to this passage of text where we find this most unusual announcement. And so with that, would you read God's word with me? We're in Luke 2, verses 1 through 11. If you're at home and can, would you stand as I read this in honor of God's word? Verse 1 says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee and from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Verse 8, and this is where we're going to For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And would you pray with me? Father, we invite you into this time that you would speak and that we would listen to you, that we would know the joy that only you can give that's centered firmly in knowing and experiencing you. Would your spirit be with us now? Would it fill The rooms and the homes, would it fill each home in our church with deep peace and joy as we turn our eyes to you this morning? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Um, We're going to do this in two parts. One, a most unusual announcement. And two, um, I want to answer the question, how to grow enjoy. Okay? So one, a most unusual announcement. Um, Luke 2 tells of shepherds alone on a dark night, surprised at the sight of an angel. Um, But the way that Luke actually begins the chapter doesn't start on this dark night. It starts with an introduction. An introduction that names these key significant figures, not only in this tiny town of Bethlehem, but these, these key figures of, of global scale, what do I mean by that? Verse 1 and 2 reads this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Corinius was governor of Syria. So here we have two levels of authority. We have the governor of Syria, Quirinius, but we also have Caesar Augustus, the the emperor of the entire world. And so we have levels of authority, and yet Luke, by verse 8, zooms in to people of perhaps not noble birth. He zooms into shepherds on a faraway corner of the world. And he zooms in to set a contrast between who this angel, this messenger of God, runs to tell the good news to. He doesn't run to Rome. He doesn't run to the capital seat of Syria. He doesn't run to the capital seat of Jerusalem. He runs to a corner where the only people available are these, these boys chasing around their sheep. He runs to these shepherds. And commentators have long argued what it means that an angel would come to shepherds. No doubt they were lowly and humble And Luke cares deeply to show God moves and works towards those in society who society may overlook. And the shepherds, not knowing what the angels were there to do, look at it, respond in fear. And the angel tells them, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now this phrase, good news, would have meant something to the people who are listening and who are reading Luke's account. Among the surrounding cultures of the times, Um, The Greeks and the Romans used it to proclaim messages about victorious battles. They used it to celebrate rulers who were just born. There's an example, there's this text where a provincial assembly wrote about celebrating the emperor and they said this, and I quote, Whereas Caesar, when he appeared, when this emperor appeared, exceeded the hopes of all who had anticipated good tidings. And whereas the birthday of the God marked for the world the beginning of good tidings through his coming, you have this provincial assembly who, in worship to Caesar, are saying, as soon as Caesar showed up, things have been good for us. And what you find is Luke, in in telling this account of Jesus being born, takes this language that Greeks and Romans would have been familiar familiar with, that they would have attributed to their local and their national and their global political rulers. And he says, you're wrong about worshiping Caesar, but understand that the one who you're truly longing for is here. Luke would have been saying, another ruler more powerful, whose domain expands physical lands, um, so great that Caesar does not compare... Is here, So it would have meant something to these people who are listening with this Gre- Greco-Roman background and worldview, but it also would have meant something to the Jews of the day. Um, Joel Green, in his commentary on the book of Luke, writes this, Luke's notion of good news borrows from the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah, where the herald defines the good news as the coming of God the salvific reign of God in peace and justice on behalf of the outcast. He continues on and he says, Luke exploits the socio-political religious depth of the language in both the Greco-Roman culture and the Jewish culture and then transforms that language by vesting it into a message about a newborn baby in a manger spoken to peasant shepherds. So what does this all mean? The passage tells us this, no matter if you're Jew Jew, Greek, Roman, Filipino, Dominican, Nigerian, Korean, whichever nation or world you might be walking from, this is good news to all people. Because all people carry an ache to know a world made right and the only one who can make this world right has come and is here. This is the good news. And here is the point you have to understand. That's going to undergird everything that we're talking about. is joy occurs when an ache and longing is fulfilled. Joy occurs when an ache and a longing is fulfilled. The angel, when he tells the shepherds who has come, describes Jesus with these three words, Savior, Messiah, and Lord. And I don't have time enough to unpack all of these thoroughly, but if you were with us two years ago, in Devlin's actually first sermon at Hope, he unpacks this. um, And if you're longing to hear... A more thorough explanation, I would dial back into that because it was fantastic. But listen, you have to understand that the core of what you need to understand about these descriptors, these descriptors, Savior, Messiah, and Lord, are ache language. They are longing language. The Jews invoke these descriptors while looking out into a world of pain and longing for their God to come. And as the angel explains, this news of the arrival of our Savior, Messiah, and our Lord, what this leads to is great, or in the Greek, mega joy. Great joy. And in the darkness of the night in that first advent, as shepherds with with their sheep, um, in the darkness of that moment, which in the darkness captures the grimness of Israel's hopes, Israel were pawns in global politics unable to defend ancestral lands with little understanding of how this all fit into God's plans. They didn't know how their present circumstances can can even be included into some sort of future glory. Yet at the appearance of an angelic messenger who came to not with a knock on their door but with the full glory of heaven, the shepherds understood three things that night. The shepherds understood that God had not lost the plot that he was still in control. Two, they understood that God was expanding his kingdom to include more people, not less. Um, expanding to include those who were, who were not society's first picks. And three, the shepherds understood that in the middle of this darkness, joy was still possible. And for us, listening to these same angels as we overhear their conversation with the shepherds, For us, sitting in our living rooms, perhaps in 2020, we can know these three things as well. One, that God has not lost the plot. Two, he is expanding his kingdom story to include more people, especially those who are not society's first picks. And three, even in the thick of a tumultuous 2020, we can believe that joy is still possible. Now, If we believe that joy is still possible, the question is, how do we grow into this joy? How do you grow into a person who grows deeply into this level of joy? And here's the issue in all of this. If you were given the option to go back in time... To either be one of three places. One, to be the raffle winner with the oversized check that just won $10 million. Or two, an audience member at Oprah Winfrey's Favorite Things annual holiday event TV show getting cool free stuff. Or three, a shepherd in Bethlehem sitting in the darkness before an angel shows up. um, To receive the good news in the most grim of situations. If given the option what would you choose to go back to? What feels the most practical to you? What feels like it has the most capacity to actually bring joy to your life? A check of 10 mil? The latest technological gadgets and advances? Or three, a pronouncement and an announcement from an angel about good news of mega joy? Now, why do I ask this question? I ask this question because I love Kit Kat bars. If someone came to me and told me I got a lifetime supply of mint chocolate, I would not care. Because I love Kit Kat bars. Here's the idea. The conditions of your attendance set your capacity to experience the joy that this angel declares. Let me put it another way. If your longing does not match the announcement, it will not lead to joy you will be apathetic. So the question really is, how do you shape your longings so that the good news proclaimed by the angel, this good news of Jesus, makes a practical difference in your life? Two answers for that. From the text, this is what I find. First, if you're going to shape your longings so that this good news actually matters to you, the first thing you need to do is you need to listen to your fears. When the angel shows up, when the angel shows up, the shepherds are afraid. They're so afraid that the angel has to say, do not be afraid. And why are they afraid? Because because we, as fragile human creatures, we all live in the fear and tyranny of a single announcement. We all live in tyranny of what a single phone call can do to wreck your life. We all feel the weight and fear that we could hear about someone becoming extremely sick. Getting a phone call about losing a job after a tumultuous 2020. We all worry about um, what what happen if things don't get back to normal um, as soon as we hope. And when we listen to our fears, what we understand is Adriana Smith um, writes when she was critiquing a poem compilation entitled Joy by Christian Wyman. She says this in The Atlantic, sorrow and joy are bedfellows. Sorrow, in order to ha- enlarge your capacity for joy, You need to be able to look deeply and squarely at sorrow in the face. And what you find is this, your fear, what it can do, is it can orient your longing. You don't feel like you need a Savior unless you come to understand that you need saving. And most of us struggle with this good news that a Savior, a Messiah, the Lord has come because if we're honest with ourselves... We don't know how it would actually change the next year of your life. But if you looked at your fears squarely in the face, the reality of and the possibility of forthcoming sorrow, and you looked at the brokenness out in the world, you would say, oh my goodness, we need a savior. And then the angel would respond to you and say, oh, but he's already come. Would you fix your eyes on him? Second, so what happens if you've already gotten the bad news? I know some in our church who we're praying for are in the thick of even um, a more difficult season than some of us who are just mildly inconvenienced. Others are in this season of real pain and suffering. And so, so what do we do then? How do we live a life of joy if we've already got the phone call? If, it's, if pain and suffering is not some unrealized fear but, but a present Companion. And the truth from the passage is this. um, We have to surrender your sorrow to the magnitude and the bigness of the news. When sorrow comes, we have to meditate firmly on the wondrous nature of the news. Um, We have to meditate on the largeness of the one who's already come. And we have to let him envelop the pain. Joy and the pursuit of joy cannot be escapism. It cannot be wishful thinking. It is a discipline. We have to understand that this invitation that the angel spoke to the shepherds was an invitation towards joy. It was an invitation for the shepherds to get up and go. To meditate on what's just happened and then pursue it. To chase it down. And how do you chase down this joy? Joy. It has to be treasured. It requires meditating on this news. It requires taking the thing that's causing you absurd sorrow and looking at it through the worldview of a massive, 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 massive God. And so what does this look like for me? In the thick of all the stressors of uh, 2020 and Everything that um, us, you know, transitioning forward could look like, it it can be a season of deep anxiety and stress. And what that's looked like for me is at night when the kids are asleep, um, listening to this song that reminds us of how big God is. um, That reminds us of who has already come who, um, as the saying goes, who, who holds the world in his hands, um, and to see how that truth intersects with um, the confusion and anxiety of my present reality. And then to see my present reality become enveloped by the fullness, um, by the fullness of God's Magnitude. This is no formula. Um, it is firmly treasuring the truth that we've all heard and let it it's go from a purely mental kind of idea to something that fills us viscerally from the top all the way to the bottom of our bones. Um, and so this is what we're going to do. Yeah. We're going to play the song. Jason has this... Um, Has recorded the song that I mentioned, um, and and the song is titled "Who Can Compare." And if you're in any way just longing for your um, for your aches to be aligned with the fullness of this good news, so that you could experience this joy, or if you're in this emotionally crushing season and just need to feel the weight of how big God is, would you just close your eyes? And would you say this single prayer over and over and over again? Would you pray, would my vision of you, God, be greater than everything I fear and everything I want to accomplish? And would I know your delight for me? Would my vision of you be greater than everything I fear and everything I want to accomplish? And would I know your delight for me? Would my vision of you be greater than everything I fear and everything I want to accomplish? Would I know your delight for me? And I promise you, if you do this every night this Advent, it will change your 2021. And you will see how the joy that comes from God is stronger than any sorrow um, your life can offer you. And so we're going to let the song play, and I'm just going to pray for you. Let's pray. Father, I pray for our church. I pray that the reality that you have come, the fullness of who you are, um, I pray that that would be a practical truth that um, that becomes ever more real to our church and that we would live from that place and that would change us and it would bring us joy and peace and a release unlike anything else. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.